Bible, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'll give you just a moment to get there. First Kings chapter 19, hear the word of the Lord. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elisha had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elisha saying, So may the gods do to me, and more so, if I do not make your life as the life of the one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough? Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was, a, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too, long, too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of the food, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the mount of God. And there he came to the cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloth and his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elisha? May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You may be seated. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into God's holy word this morning. God, I echo the prayers of your saint this morning. It's already been prayed over your people. God, if there's someone here that does not know you, trust you, and believe your son as both Lord and Savior, I pray that through you, Holy Spirit, you draw them to yourself through the proclamation and teaching of your word. And for the rest of us, God, that know you, Wherever we're at in our walk with you, I pray that today's message would encourage our hearts. That none of us would come and leave the same, but we'd leave more like your son, holy, as you have called us to be holy. So bring correction, bring rebuke, but most importantly, bring encouragement to us. 
Lead us and guide us through your holy word this morning. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Anyone ever felt like they have had unmet expectations? You come into uh, the day or come into your week or come into your month and you're hoping for expectation. Right? Here's what the expectations mean or hopes mean. It is a feeling of expectation or a desire that certain things happen. There's a story in Luke chapter 24 about these two men right after uh, Jesus has died on the cross. That he had been telling the people that he was going to die on, on the cross and he told the people that he was going to be raised from the dead. That, that was his kind of his theme of his life and he was going to proclaim that. And he said that it was no surprise because he had made that promise that would happen. But that one Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, two of his disciples Cleopas and No Name were traveling away from the cross, away from the tomb. And they're having this conversation about what had just transpired, what had just taken place. And as the story goes, Jesus comes alongside of them and begins to question them and asking them, why is their face so downcast and what has troubled their hearts? And they begin to tell the story to Jesus about Jesus. Wouldn't that be a sight on that road to be talking to Jesus? And it says in the scriptures that their eyes were covered so they couldn't tell who it was Jesus himself. And then they say these few words to each other and to Jesus. All these things that we had hoped for didn't happen. All these things that we had hoped for didn't happen. And I wonder for us this morning, if we were walking with Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus, would say the same few words. All these things we had hoped for aren't happening in my life. Well, that reminds me of the story we just read in 1 Kings chapter 19. Here is a man, Elisha, a prophet, uh, probably one of the most famous prophets of all the Old Testament. Like he was so revered by the people of God, he is talked about in the New Testament. If you're in the Old Testament and you're talked about in the New Testament, it means you're important. And so Elisha was like the dude. He was the man. And yet there's this story even about Elisha who had walked with God, who had hopes and expectations that weren't met. And that's where we find ourselves in this story, this, this hope and this expectation that Elijah had that wasn't coming to happen the way he had hoped for. So let's look together at what his hopes and what his expectations were, and then we're going to look at what God does and how God responds to us and our hopes and expectations. And this is what it says in the very first verse of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elisha had just done. But there's some key people in this story we've got to define. Ahab was the, was the king uh, of, of Israel. Ahab was a wicked king. It says uh, just a few chapters before that Ahab was the most wicked of all the kings up until this point. Remember, the people of God had wanted a king to rule over them. 
Well, literally did they know that the, the kings that they would want would, would not serve them well. Very few kings, as it say, in all of First and Second Kings were godly men. But about this one particular king, Ahab, he was known as the most wicked of all the kings. Now, what made him so wicked? Well, just about one word over, he told Jezebel. Remember, I just said, like, with a godly woman comes a godly man. So we can just say, all of a sudden, we know his wife was not godly. She was a wicked woman, more wicked than Ahab. What made her so wicked? If you know anything about the Old Testament, the Old Testament, there's this, this God, lowercase g, not capital G, that was, his name was Baal. And the people of God would serve Baal on and off for the rest of their lives. Well, how did they get introduced to Baal? This wicked woman. This wicked foreign woman brought the God, this Baal, into Israel and defiled all of Israel. And that's where we find ourselves in the midst of these stories that the people of God had rebelled so much against God that they're serving this wicked, wicked God. And then God sends Elisha onto the scene. When prophets show up in stories, it's not for good news. Like, God does not send a prophet to be like, hey man, high five, y'all are killing it. God sends prophets into the story to be like, man, you are not killing it. You are rebelling and you need to turn and repent and come back to me. And that is what Elisha does. He goes on and he comes and he confronts Ahab about Ahab's wickedness. And then Ahab and Elijah have this conversation about this God, Baal. And then there's this challenge that happens up on Mount Carmel in chapter 18. Well, here's what had happened prior to that. God had told Elijah, hey, I need you to go to Ahab and tell him, hey, there's going to be this severe famine. For the next three years, you're not going to see a drop of rain. That's not good news for crops. So he goes and tells them that. And then Ahab and Elijah have this conversation. And then they have this conversation about, well, who's God's more powerful? And then Elijah says to the people of God, Hey, stop dancing between the two. Now, that's the Todd International Version. But it's, he basically says, hey, you can't serve that God and this God. Choose today who you're going to serve. And then the people of God and Ahab say, well, let's put God to the test. That's a bad idea. That's a, not a good idea. And the rest of the story goes, there's 450 prophets of Baal that come up on this mountain. Versus this one prophet of God. And all of a sudden, Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, hey, you take a bull, I'll take a bull. Let's see whose God is more powerful. You sacrifice, you cut your bull into a lot of pieces, I'll cut my bull into a lot of pieces. You call down your fire from your God and see if it consumes it. So here's the prophet of the 450 prophets begin to cry out to Baal and nothing happens. Now there's this sweet line in the story, probably one of my favorite of the Old Testament. Elijah begins to mock the prophets of Baal. And he says to the prophets of Baal, 
hey, I don't know what your God's doing. Maybe he's chilling. He says that literally. He says maybe he's gone to sleep or maybe he's out back relieving himself. But your God isn't doing anything. So why don't you take your bull and take it off the altar. I'm going to take my bull and put it on the altar. And then he says, let me put it even more to the test. So you don't think I'm doing some hocus pocus thing. I want you to take three gallons of water three times and drench this altar. And they do that. And then one prayer, the power of God shows up. And then the power of God shows up and consumes not just the bull, not just the wood, but the entire altar is consumed. There's just a charred remain on the top of this mountain. And then it says in the verse, the people of God had come up to witness this contest. The people of God are all around the 450 prophets and around Elisha, and they see the power of God. And then the people of God say this, in verse 38, 39 of 18, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their face and said, that's a posture of worship, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And they decided that day to follow God again. And then Elisha seized all the prophets, all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, so that none of them could escape. And he took them down to the river, and it said he killed all of them. He slaughtered all 450 of these prophets. How come? Because he wanted to keep the people of God pure. Like false teaching is a big deal in the Bible. And so God's like, we ain't having it that way. Elijah, kill them all. That was a bloodbath. One man killed 450 people. Now remember back to what I was talking about earlier. Elisha still had expectation. Elisha came on the mountain. Elisha called out to God, and God did this powerful thing, and God allowed Elisha to see people come back to him. The people of God repented, and yet Elisha still had expectations that weren't met. We know one of the expectations that wasn't met was later in the chapter. He had hoped, and you have to infer this into the text, his hope and desire was that Ahab and Jezebel would turn as well as all the other people. He had this expectation that he would be used by God to see all of Israel repent and come back to God. And yet two people in their stubbornness, refused to repent, and yet it didn't meet Elisha's expectations. Now, later on in chapter 18, the, the famine ends, and God sends Elisha and says, hey, go pray for rain, I'm going to let it rain. And then God sends a tsunami, and it just pours down rain. And yet, his expectations still weren't met. And I wonder, church, for us, how often we see the power of God move in our midst, and yet there's that one little thing that we were hoping that would happen, that we expected that God would answer, that God would do, and we miss all that God is doing because of that one little expectation. You see, the blindness of Elisha that day, 
It didn't allow him to see that all of Israel had repented except two people. It didn't allow him to see the power of God send down fire from heaven to consume an altar. It didn't allow him to see the power of God eliminate 450 false prophets. And that's where we find ourselves in this story. And it says in verse 1, Ahab and Jezebel had heard all that Elisha had done and how he killed all the prophets with a sword. And then look at verse 2. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elisha. And the message said this to Elisha. So it may be the gods do to me, and more so, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. The one of them was the prophets. So Jezebel says to Elijah, hey, I'm coming for you. I'm going to kill you. And if I don't kill you, I'm going to kill myself. Now look at the response of Elisha. Now remember, he just saw and witnessed the power of God. He just saw all that God could do. And now, yet, because of his unmet expectation, his unmet desires that he had placed on God. It says this, then he was afraid. Like fear gripped him in the moment. He heard from this wicked woman, and he was more afraid of her than he was of him. Any of us ever find ourselves there? We're more afraid of our circumstances than we are the one who's in control of our circumstances. And yet he's gripped with fear. He's seized with fear. And it says this when he's gripped with fear. He arose and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah. And he left all of his servants. Now we can read that one little verse. And we think like, oh, it's running from here to the parsonage. Or it's running from here to Wilson Elementary School. No, this man ran a hundred miles. That's a long way. And he ran the whole way. That dude was an athlete. But he ran for his life. And he was trying to outrun his fear. But we know we can't outrun our fear. Where we go, our fear goes with us. And then it says this. He had left everything behind him, all of his servants behind him, all of his people behind him. He was in total isolation by himself. That is a bad place to be when you're in fear. Anyone ever get there? Like when you're in your fear, you go be alone, and then you're not really alone because that little voice inside of your head starts talking to you. You know the voice? Like start talking more doubt, more depression. Like the best place you can be when people, when you're afraid, is to be with people. But homeboy says, I got to outrun everything and everybody. And then he starts having those mind games for 100 miles. Now, I've, I've ran for five miles, so that's about enough. And about the first 20 feet, I'm like, I got this. And then the rest of it, I'm like caught in my head. So for 100 miles, 
he's got to be playing over and over, how's this lady coming for me? How's this lady going to kill me? When is she going to kill me? How is she going to catch up to me? And then he says in verse 4, but he himself, after running 100 miles, went another day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and asked that he might die. You talk about depression. You ever been so depressed you wanted to die? You ever been so depressed you had those thoughts about what you would do and how you would do it? Am I the only one in the room? And if I'm honest with myself, it's when I look at myself in the mirror, when I have those places of depression, it's because of these unmet expectations. And when I have these unmet expectations, then I'm blinded by the goodness of God that we just sang about. I'm blinded by the power of God. I'm blinded by all that God can do. I'm blinded by all that God has done. I just want to die. And so he says that. He says, just take my life. And then like any good depressed person, he asks that his life may be taken, and then what does he do? Night, night, falls asleep. Anyone ever done that before? Like just the agony of like being awake, you're like, man, if I could just fall asleep, just a reprieve. Anyone been there before? I'm like the only one in the room. Like I'm talking to myself, I guess. Daggum. Like, so depressed, like, if I could just go to sleep with the hope of not waking up? Is that too dark for, like, homecoming? I promise the light is coming. That's where he is. He falls asleep under a bush, basically, asking that his life be taken from him. But here's the goodness of God. Look what happens to him in his most depressed place of his life. He's asleep under that bush, hoping that his life would be taken from him. He says, I'm just like my fathers, and that's not his biological fathers, that's like all the men that had come before him, all the people that have failed before him. He lay down and slept under the broom tree, And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, oh, that's the goodness of God. Even when we try to run past God, outrun God, run from God, God is always in our midst and God is always wanting to wake us and touch us and say to us, arise and eat. Nourish yourself. Take care of yourself. And he looked, and behold, there was a hot cake at his head and a jar of water. He didn't even have to do anything about it. Homeboy didn't even have to call Uber Eats. Like He just woke up, and he had a meal right beside his head that God had provided for him. I wonder how often, church, in our depression, God wakes us and provides for us what's right next to us, and we even miss that. Because we can look at it and say, man, it was just a piece of bread and some water. That's all it is. I'd want a steak dinner, a mashed potatoes, and some gravy. 
But sometimes God gives us exactly what we need, not exactly what we want. He woke up, and he ate it and drank, and he went back to sleep. Like still depressed. Like still didn't get the cure. Still didn't get the memo, hey man, God's coming for you. So he goes back to sleep. And God's like, okay, you probably didn't get that memo. Maybe you'll get this memo. Verse 7, and the angel of the Lord, what? He came again. The pursuit and the consistency of God. In our depression, God is coming for us. Because God is good and God is faithful and God loves us. And he touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. I wish the writer would have left that part out. Because what that next few words means, hey, I'm not done with you yet. Like, oh man, come on, bro. Let me just go to the beach and hang out. Like, hey, there's more for you, Elijah. It's going to get harder. It's not about to get easier for you. But I've given you just enough to make it for this part of the journey. Eat it. Arise and go. And he ate it. And he arose. And he ate and he drank. And he went in the strength of the food, of, with that food for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 more days and 40 more nights of agony. Like how many of us are like, man, why couldn't it just said one more day, one more night? 40 more days he'd have to sit waiting for something else. 40 more days. That's more than a month. But he did it. He obeyed God. So he goes to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. That, highlight that in your Bible. We're going to come back to that. There's so many beautiful things that happen on that mountain. I'll get to them in a minute. And then he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here? What are you here for, Elijah? Meaning this is not where you're supposed to be. Why are you here? Tell me what's going on inside of you. Like God is asking a question to reveal, not to him because he needs to know, a, a place that Elijah can come through, a place of confession to let him know. Man, I just want to die. I'm not doing all right. I'm having a bad day. I'm not too happy with you either, God. That's really what's going on. He's not happy with God. Like, hey, you didn't meet my expectations. Anyone ever said that to God? That's what God wants to know from you. God is asking that from you. What's going on inside of you? Tell me. Be honest with me so I can be with you in it. Not because I don't know. I just want you to be honest. What are you doing here? And Elisha answers, I've been very, very 
jealous for the God, for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've forsaken your promise. They've turned from you. And I was just hoping they'd turn back to you is what he's saying in the passage. I was wishing that they would all turn to you. Even the king and queen. They've destroyed your altars. They killed all of your prophets with a sword, which that's not a true statement. You see, if you go back two passages, uh, Obadiah had hit a hundred other prophets in the cave, hoping that this would bypass. So that's not really a true statement. That's just how he feels in the moment. And then he says, I'm the only one left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, God speaking to him. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. This is the angel saying this. Behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore through the mountain and broke into pieces all the rocks before the Lord. Catch this, the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. The Lord was not in any of those things, the text says. What does those three things have anything to do with this passage? We've got to know where these three things come from. These three things come out of what we see in Exodus. Remember there was a man, Moses, who's the greatest of all the prophets of the Old Testament. And remember, Moses had these expectations of God as well. And even Moses being called a friend of God was upset with God that his expectations were met. And remember what God said to him. Where did God tell him to go? Remember where God told him to go? He told him to go to Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, they're the same mountain. And then it says this, he told him to go up the mountain and I'm going to meet you there. And in meeting you there, I want you to go hang out and what? The cleft of a rock or a cave. Many scholars believe this same cave that Elijah was in was in that very same cave that Moses was in. And these two men had expectations of God that weren't met. And in the first story with Moses, God came and began to speak in the wind and began to speak in the earthquake and began to speak in the fire and all those things you see in the text those are where god presents the law of god to god's people there's where god made a covenant with god's holy people that he would never leave them never forsake them now you fast forward to this part of the story those same winds and those same earthquakes and that same fire and yet it says this god wasn't in there and how often are we hoping to see God in the big things? The winds, the fires, the earthquakes. And yet God's not going to be in those places for you. And now you must ask the question, how come? How come God will not be in the place where he was once before? Because God doesn't need to be because he's already made a promise to you in the wind, the fire, and the earthquake. He doesn't need to retell the story that's already been told. He doesn't need to give you more promises. Now we just simply have to believe in the promises that he already gave us, not give us new promises. 
And yet, then it says this in the text. And yet, after all those things, after the earthquake and the fire and the wind, when God was not in any of it, and after the fire, the sound of what? A low, soft whisper. God was known to Elijah in that moment. God revealed himself. And it says this, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here? What are you still here for? And at that moment, he says and responds the same way, and yet in that moment then he leaves the mountain of God and does amazing things from there on out. Because he heard in the small, soft whisper of the Lord. You see, these two men had these expectations about God. These two men had wanted to see God in some powerful ways. Moses had wanted to see the face of God, but God said to them, you can't see my face. If you see my face, your face, your face will be obliterated. That's the Tide International Version. It just says, you cannot look upon the holiness of God and live. And that's what Elijah is saying. I just want to see all of you. I want to see you in your full glory. I want to see in your power and your might and your strength. And I bet if we are honest with ourselves in our own expectations, that's what we're asking of God. I want to see all of you. Here's the beauty of the text. Turn over to Matthew 17. This is what the text says. I want you to catch who are the two men from the Old Testament are on the mountain. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a mountain. Where did God lead the other two men before? Up a mountain. Where's God leading his disciples? Up a mountain. Where's God leading you? Up a mountain. It's called Mount, the mountain of Calvary. And on top of that mountain, something miraculous happened, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared with them who? Moses and Elisha. The two things these men had always wanted to see, they got to see the face of God. These two men had always wanted to see the face of God. Did always wanted to see all the glory of God. And it says in that moment, they saw God's face, Jesus, it says. And behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with him as though they were friends. When you talk with friends, do you not look them dead in the face? You see, they got what they wanted in a way they didn't think they'd ever get it. 
And I want to offer that to you, church, this morning. You see, you may have unmet expectations this morning. But I promise this, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, all those expectations have been met in one person. And now you get to see him face to face every day. You get to go spend time with him. You don't have to go hide your face in the cleft of a rock. You don't have to turn from the glory of God. You get to behold the glory of God. But the challenge for you, the challenge for me, is simply this. We believe in that promise that God has given to us that we can come to the feet of God and behold all of His glory through what Christ has done for you. You see, you cannot come to God without the shed blood of Christ on you because then you cannot behold the glory of God. You, you see, that blood is the veil that we all need to absorb the wrath of God onto us, the glory of God. You see, without, the, without that veil, without that blood, you will be absorbed by the wrath of God in a moment. But when you have seen Christ face to face and believe Him as your Lord and Savior, then the blood of Jesus has wrapped you in all of you. Therefore, you can behold the glory of God. So my challenge to you, my challenge to me, my challenge to this church today is this. The same words that God spoke to Elisha. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Not why are you here. Not how did you get here. But what are you doing here? Is your answer, I want to behold the glory of God today. I want to behold all that God has for me today. And I know I have these expectations that aren't met. But I have this Savior that's done so much more for me. And I promise, if we get stuck in our expectations, we get stuck in our demands for what God will and won't do for us, we will not behold the glory of God. We'll be stuck in resentment towards God. We've got to be honest with God this morning. What are you doing here? What is it in your life that you wish would happen that isn't happening? Or is happening that you wish were not happening? All those things can be true. God wants to hear that from you. But you've got to confess that to him so you don't hold on to those expectations so in holding on to those expectations, you don't get to see the glory of God. And so for you and for me in closing this morning, A, what are your expectations that aren't being met? And then B, if you have any of those, will you confess those to Him? And then lastly, I promise this, you will not be like Elisha, and you will not be like Moses, you will not be able to see the face of God, of the glory of God without Christ Jesus' blood on you. Have you come to believe that? This because without that, the wrath of God is coming for you. And I promise this, you have the same prayer that Elijah had. I'd rather die than have to face that. Where have you placed your hope and trust in 
today. May we run to God and not from God the way Elisha did. Let us pray this morning.